Our reading this morning is from Jonah 2. It's called Jonah's Prayer. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me, I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock but forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. May God bless that reading to us this morning. on but it was on mute (laughs) you don't know about a mute button do you it's because I ordinarily don't have one (laughs) anyway where were we Um, well I I, I mean this has got nothing to do with what I'm about to talk about but um, we uh, I went up to the fresh dreams conference some of you were aware of that I went up with uh, Fern and Liz and uh, Ian had to fend for himself, and the house was still in a reasonable state when I got back. Um, but really, what I wanted to say was that, you know, we'd thank you for those of, us those of you who'd prayed for us as we went up, but also just how encouraging it is, or how encouraging it was, to be away with a wider part of the Baptist family and to be able to hear some of the things that the Spirit is doing in the church, to be able to listen to stories of how God is moving and of how different churches are, are really taking on uh, what it means for them to be making disciples in today's world, which is not an easy thing to do. So it was very encouraging, and I'm, I'm sure that there will be some aspects of what we looked at while we were away there that I will be uh, sort of uh, reporting back to the leadership team about, and uh, we'll be thinking and praying about how we can maybe engage with some of that. But thank you for those of you, of you who have prayed for us as we've been away but be encouraged because God is at work and God is good and God's spirit is moving not just here but across our nation anyway let's get to Jonah shall we 
I wonder whether any of you have heard of the, have you heard of the Citizens Advertising Takeover? Have you ever heard of them? No, nor had I. Google is a fantastic thing, isn't it? Um, some time ago, the citizens advising takeover, so realise that, you know, the beginning of each of those words spelled cat. Um, they replaced all 68 adverts on the walls of Clapham Common Underground Station with pictures of cats. On. Ah, oh, 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 oh. Oh. <laughs> Start again. Let's see. Mm. <laughs> Told you the spirit was at work, didn't I? Yeah. All of the advertising posters were replaced with pictures of cats. And all of a sudden, people started taking notice. They were stopping to take pictures of advertising posters, and the Citizens Advertising Takeover Service got their message out to far more people than they had done, simply because they've caught people's attention. These were, you know, these are like hardened uh, commuters, the sort of people that don't make eye contact with anybody because they do the same journey at the same time every single day and they're just like this. I don't know whether you've ever been into London and then they just walk past, they're, just, they're, on, they're on autopilot. And these people would have walked through this station all the time and all of a sudden, something had changed. And it caught their notice and they were stopping and smiling and taking pictures of advertising billboards because something had grabbed their attention. And you know, there are so many things out there in the world that are trying to get our attention. Advertisements, TV ads, papers and, and uh, the news online with their you know little wonderful headlines that really are just there for you to click on it or just have a look and then you realize it's got nothing to do with what they said it was about to do, that kind of stuff. Your phones. I mean, my goodness me, how often do we find that we're on our phones? And those people who then think, well, maybe I'm not going to be on my phone too much, they have gadgets on their wrists, so it just looks like they're looking at the time a lot, when they're not really, it's just that this thing on their wrist has just gone buzz and they've got an email come through. Yeah? You know what I mean, don't you? There are so many things that are out there to get our attention. I wonder what it takes to get your attention. What does it take for something to get your attention? In fact, I wonder what God has to do to get your attention. What does God have to do to get your attention? Is it as easy as an email coming through, I wonder? What does God have to do? You know, God had asked Jonah to witness to the wonder of all that he was. God has asked Jonah to speak words of justice to a city of injustice. He has asked Jonah to speak words of judgment into a city that thought it was above and beyond any judgment, to speak these things displaying the authority and the power of Israel's God, the one true God. And what does Jonah do? He scarpers. You don't expect this to happen 
When God speaks to someone who has been introduced to you as a prophet, you expect the next line to be, and so Jonah left as the Lord commanded him. You don't expect it to be, Jonah ran away. Had God got his attention, I wonder? Had God really got Jonah's attention? He gets on a boat that's manned by a pagan crew. They make that quite clear, just so that we know they are outsiders. They are people who Israel were most probably looking down their noses at in their newfound position of strength and prosperity. And God hurls a storm at them, and all the pagans start praying in the boat. They immediately start praying, but the prophet of God sleeps. This prophet, we have no record of him praying at all in chapter 1, which is when the big storm and the massive stuff's happening. He doesn't utter a word of prayer. But the pagans are at it fanatically. They are praying to their gods, and then they pray very fervently to Jonah's God before they give him the heave-ho, and then they're at it again, this time praying and offering sacrifice. I mean, they seriously are getting very fanatical about prayer at the end of chapter one of the pagans, but Jonah, no, he don't bother. He resigns himself to death. But of course, the God who sent the storm is the God who sent the fish, and Jonah doesn't die. Mind you, I think it must have felt a bit like a death, actually, stuck inside a fish. And not knowing the end of the story, he doesn't know. He's got, only got three days in there, but I mean three days in the stomach of a fish before he's chucked up on a beach. But it's interesting to note, I think, isn't it, that it's not until he's endured a life-threatening, furiously strong storm and been thrown overboard from a boat into the wild sea, and been swallowed by a monster fish that he decides it might be a good time to speak to God. It would seem that it is not until he's inside the belly of the fish that God has finally got Jonah's attention, and that he is in some way brought to his senses. I wonder what God has to do to get your attention. I wonder what it is that he has to do maybe to bring you to your senses. Here, faced with the reality of death and the reality of the consequences of his decision-making and disobedience, Jonah gains a little bit of perspective, and he learns something about obedience and disobedience. You see, the reality is, every time any of us disobey, any time any of us turn from God to do what we want, we start death-dealing rather than being about what we are called to be about, rather than being about what we are purposed and created to be, messengers of the kingdom, sharers of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. The wages of sin, we are told, is death. But sin isn't just about doing stuff wrong, it's also about what we don't do. It's about the times when we don't live in true acknowledgement of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, the reality of who he is and what he has done for us. And so it would seem God's got Jonah's attention and he's brought to his senses and he prays. And as he does, notice there appears to be no blame that's directed at God. Jonah is aware here that his situation actually isn't God's fault. You know, we might have been tempted to have blamed God for it. 
But Jonah realises he's not in the depths of the grave and engulfed and threatened with death because of God. He's managed to get there quite well on his own. And his response to God here is noteworthy, I think. Why? Well, firstly, because it displays quite clearly, I think, that even in this place where he has run and hidden, where his disobedience has really caught up with him, even in this place, God is. And therefore, prayer is possible. You know, if prayer is spoken about happening in this place, the belly of a massive, huge monster fish, then surely prayer can happen anywhere. Surely there cannot be a place where we might get to where we could say that we are actually a little bit beyond the boundaries of where it's worth us praying. It's in verse 2 that Jonah says, When I was in trouble, Lord, I prayed to you and you listened to me. From the deep in the world of the dead, I begged for your help and you answered my prayer. The reality being, you can never, you can never fall too far. You can never distance yourself too far. You can never do anything or have anything done to you that would set you beyond the reach or the grasp of God in prayer because God listens to our prayers wherever they are prayed from. And of course, this is nothing new if you've been knocking around churches for a while. This is nothing new. But sometimes just because it's not something new doesn't mean it's something that we don't really take on board. God listens to our prayers. Here is a man from the chosen nation of Israel who is then again chosen to be an anointed messenger of the God of all things, the God who created the entirety of the universe, and he has acted in direct, blatant, and open disobedience before God. Now, I don't know how you might have come here this morning. Let's be honest. If we're disobeying God in some area of our lives or trying to hide away from him or run from something, we're hardly ever as public about it as Jonah is here, are we? But let me say this, there is one thing I can be sure of, however far you think you've gone, you are not beyond the place where it is possible to call out to God. God alone remains mighty to save whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation you are in, whatever appears to have engulfed you. Jonah's response to God is noteworthy because it displays the truth that even when our disobedience and sin catches up with us, we can never ever be beyond God's saving presence. You can pray anywhere because God hears your prayers and to be heard by the Lord is to be saved. Secondly, I think Jonah's response here to God is noteworthy because of the depth of truth and meaning that it conveys. You see, Jonah unfolds this downward spiral of his journey in this prayer. He speaks about the depths in which he finds himself, the currents, the waters that have engulfed him as he's journeyed. He realizes exactly where he is. He's awakened to the reality of his situation. In verse 8, he talks about those who cling on to worthless things in the place of God, forfeiting and losing the grace that could be theirs. Jonah here realizes something of the enormity of what it is he's lost through his disobedience. You know, the Hebrew word that's translated as grace in this passage is kesed. And in many ways, it's more than just grace. 
It speaks about an undeserved, abundant, everlasting covenant love, mercy, and kindness that brings comfort and security. In many ways here, Jonah expresses the price, the cost of disobedience. When you continue on in your own way, when you live with no acknowledgement of God, you end up for the sake of your will, your whim, your want, your desire, letting go of all that God is and God wants you to make your own. In the light of this realization, Jonah makes an incredibly wonderful statement that I'm sure by chapter 4 he's probably haunting him a little bit, but that's a bit of a spoiler alert. He says, Yeshuata Leahweh, deliverance and salvation comes from the Lord. That's what he says. Deliverance and salvation comes from the Lord. The word for deliverance or salvation is Yeshua. It's the name that Gabriel told Mary she is to give her baby. Why? Because he is going to save his people from their sins. You see, the final statement of Jonah's prayer is prophetic. Should be, he's a prophet. And he makes this prophetic statement. It's, It's a prophetic statement that as Christians we can't hear about without hearing the name of Jesus. The one who we're told in John 3, 16 is sent to bring salvation, not just for a chosen few or a few people that we might like, but for everyone. For all of the peoples of the world who would believe in him, salvation comes from the Lord. You can't find it anywhere else. You can search endlessly for it in education and wealth and business and philosophies, in accumulating all manner of stuff. You can attempt to find it in adhering to strict regimes of religious activity, but it can only be found in one person and from one source. Salvation comes from the Lord. And it is upon that statement that you realize the fish starts retching. It said it spat him up. How do you don't spit it up? He puked him up. The fish starts retching as soon as Jonah realizes salvation comes from the Lord. Well, Jonah, you said it. (laughs) Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And this is the question that this chapter leaves us with. As in our mind's eye, we see this poor, wretched, but saved by grace prophet puked up on a beach, covered in the thick, mucosy stomach juices of a fish, stinking. Well, I've got to bear him, let's be honest. You don't normally think about it, but we've got to think about the state he was in. It wasn't all clean and nice. You'd have hardly run up and given him a hug, would you? No, however pleased you were to see him, it's the sort of smell that would have lingered. He was probably bleached from all of that stomach acid and everything. However he was, I'm sure he was gasping for lungfuls of fresh air as he's puked up on the beach. Salvation comes from the Lord. But is this really what Jonah wants from his prayer in the belly of the fish? Because this prayer, you see, has put him right back in the center of God's will for his life. I wonder how he's going to do this time round. Jonah stays true to form in many ways. This wonderful statement that he makes at the end of this prayer is the second sort of confession of faith he's made so far in the story. The first one in chapter 1, when following questions of the pagan sailors, he declares himself to be a Hebrew. Oh yes, I'm a Hebrew, he says, and I worship the Lord of, of heaven, the one who made the sea and the land. Again, quite a profound statement, but did he mean it? I mean, he says all of that, but he's on the flipping run from him, isn't he? I mean, it's a funny sort of worship, isn't it? 
Is it possible to make such a statement, be so openly on the scarper from God? Is he not saying one thing and then acting out something quite different? And coming the end of the story, we probably see that pattern repeated in many ways. Now, don't get me wrong here. We are not called to be judge and jury for Jonah. But I think it would be incredibly short-sighted of any of us here if we didn't at the very least learn from his responses that it is a heck of a lot easier to talk about God. It's a heck of a lot easier to make profound statements of faith than it is to live in the reality of them, than it is to adopt a lifestyle that backs up what you say you believe and know about God. And it seems Jonah has all the right words, but we are left asking how genuine they might actually be. And you know what? We can be so much the same. We can. We all know the right words to say, and we all know the words that we think God might want to hear us say as well, don't we? We do. You don't? I do. I'm happy to admit it. I know. I know how to play the game. I've been knocking around churches for long enough. We can call him Lord and we can sing about how we're going to live for him and how we're going to serve him. And then as soon as we get an opportunity, we do a Jonah. We run off and we carry out our own little missions in our own way because they're usually better our ways, aren't they? Even though we know Salvation comes only from the Lord. Do you believe that today? Do you believe it? And be careful if you're ready to go, yeah, 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 I do, because you might have an inkling about what might be coming next. Do you believe it? As members of God's church, each one of us is commissioned to work to bring God's word to God's people, all people. We are each one of us called to be about God's work in the way that he wants that done, like Jonah was called. If chapter one of this story asks us what sort of view we had of God, this one leaves us asking how we respond to this God and how we actually treat God. I wonder what is the contents of our prayers? What are the motives, the true motives of our prayers? Are we really seeking to be at the center of God's will for our lives, seeking to allow the Holy Spirit to use us for his glory, or are we using all the right lingo but really striving to bend God's will into our shape in some way, shape, or form? Are we a fellowship of people ready to be satisfied to pray that God would bless what we do rather than pray that we would always be ever only about doing what God wills to bless by doing his will? I believe that we follow and we serve a God who longs to catch our attention so that we might realize something of the exhaustive abundance of his kesed for us and for those around us. He has done everything to catch your attention. He even sent his only son to live and to die so that when you realizes, realize the consequence of your wrong, when all of that stuff catches up with you, you can know the truth, the wonderful truth of the fact that salvation comes from the Lord and he gives it freely to everyone who calls on his name for it. And this morning... May our responses to that be more than simply the right words sung to the right tune. May they be about us yearning and desiring God in every moment so that we have lives that display the truth of all that we say and pray and sing. So that we are people who are catching the attention of those around us because we are reflecting the glory and the truth 
of all Jesus is. And we enable people to see and know the reality of God's love and care for them. How do you respond to this God this morning? Are you talking the talk? That's a really easy thing to do. Or are you really walking the walk? Are you really putting that into practice? Because it's an easy thing to say it. It's a far more difficult thing to live it. May we be those who've got all the right words, but also all the right living. Because that's what God calls for each one of us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this really human, real prophet on the run, Jonah. Thank you because we can see you had to do so much to get his attention. We pray, Lord, that as we go into this new week, that we might just have an awareness of you around us, of your leading and your guiding. That, Lord, that we would notice those moments when, when you are longing to catch our attention when you are longing for us to see the places where you are already at work by your Holy Spirit and you're inviting us to join you. The moments when you long to catch our attention so that we might know your love, that in those moments we might know your forgiveness, your grace, your strength, your comfort. That we might be people who don't just know how to talk about you and know all the right words, but that our lives may be lived in your way. We ask these things for the glory of your name. Amen.